Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Now it opens up down the middle. Big run. Just keep moves it quickly. Now Adams picks up Malcolm. Malcolm jinks off his left foot. Defense comes at him and brings him down. Still opportunities both ways. Here for the arrows. There's Mirez. Comes off his wing looking for work. Shepard. Contact as he puts that back into Lesage. The arrows here knocking on the door. They'd love another try. It'd be Asiata. He'd love five points next to his name. Cap off a great night already for his Arrows debut. Kenzie, quick hands. Yana already five points. They come right again. Quick hands will do it. Moore in the corner. Beautiful ball from Adams, though. Flat cutout pass to Moore. And the skipper gets five. And you can see him thanking his fly half right there. Beautiful lead-up work from the number 10 from New Zealand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, coming to my aid last weekend uh, and uh, taking over uh, hosting duties. Uh, we want to thank you, uh, thank Andrew Ferguson for coming on and chatting with the guys. Uh, it was a great interview. Um, a lot of really nice, honest conversations about you know the professional sports uh, field going on right now with COVID-19. So uh, thank you again, Andrew, for coming on. Uh, gentlemen, I do think I have an answer for your question that you asked, Andrew, though, about who is the best fictional character that could become a rugby player? Because I thought about this. I've been thinking about this. Cause I don't, think we, asked, I don't think we asked Andrew Quat- or, uh, Andrew Ferguson that, but I think uh, we just kind of yeah, I think you did at the end of it, didn't you not? No, we didn't actually ask him about that. We just talked about it after we interviewed him. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. See, um, now, now we know you actually don't listen to these when you're, you're away. You just <laughs> no. You it's, just it's try to come up with a talking point to make it sound like you actually listen. It's quite to the it. opposite. We're seeing I, right through you. I hate the sound of my own voice, so I'm only going to listen if I'm not on the podcast. Yeah, but you didn't attentively listen though. So I that's guess a not. knock against you. So you I think I was doing something that the else. Interview I with Andrew cooking. Ferguson was already done. Either way, I would like to hear your thoughts on fictional character here. So I think that uh, my fictional character would be a fullback. Uh, I think that you can pick any of them because there are numerous uh, reiterations of this character. But I think having a Green Lantern as your fullback. Um, and I thought about which one for a period of time because you could have you have John Stewart who's got a background in the military as an architect. You know, Hal Jordan is kind of considered the most powerful Green Lantern. Uh, but I'm sticking with Kyle Rayner, uh, and the reasoning why is I like a fullback who's creative, and mm-hmm. Kyle Rayner was a formerly an artist and a cartoonist, so he is he has been known to be one of the most creative Green Lanterns. And if you want a guy that's going to be able to catch those fly balls, you know, he's going to be able to put, use his power ring to make a giant hand. He's going to be able to grab it in. And if he's got, you know, if a prop makes a line break and he's coming down on him, he's just going to make a giant wall and he's going to crash right into it. And you know what? Maybe he needs to blast that ball out of his end. He's just going to make a cannon and he's going to fire that ball out of the cannon. So I think that, uh, 
any Green Lantern would suit the fullback position, but I think uh, Kyle Rayner gets my vote. I, I don't think Kyle Rayner can be an All Black though. They have that big no dickheads rule, so might not might not gel too well in the uh, in the locker room there. Well, alleged no dickheads. I feel like if you ask anybody, especially Australians, they'd say that a couple of the All Blacks are dickheads. Ah. Well, they just say that because he loses, though. Kyle Rayner has, like, a galaxy of people that think he's a dickhead. Wow. Um, no. I, I, I understand that. I understand your point, though. This is getting, yeah. This, Kyle Rayner is, like, the least liked Green Lantern. I like that you went with that. You that, think he's, that, he's that, more that le- least liked than Guy Gardner? Yeah. Oh, you know what? No, I think you're right. I think Guy Gardner is the guy that I'm thinking of. That's yeah, you're the, thinking uh, the, the kid. Yeah, I think I'm Guy Gardner. No, you're right. You just called me out on my comic bookness there. Very good call. So this is like a, I need to like get myself a pin and made that make that. That feels good. <laughs> um, we are going to yes, continue you, you, our. I'm more of a Marvel. I'm more of a Marvel guy. I got the uh, the DC things. Not sure, completely locked away. sure. Yeah, sure. sure. Damn. Sure. Yeah. You know uh, what? Though we, I actually did kind of think about this after, and if you really want an answer, Agent Venom, the only Marvel character that has actually been listed as having played rugby, or whatever. So that is put that. That's Flash Thompson, right? Yeah, it's Flash Thompson. Agent Venom, though, like when he goes to the army and is Venom in the army, or whatever. But uh, he's, there's like one comic book where he has a throwaway line where it's basically. Um, He's basically saying, like, somebody asked him to go do something, and he was like, I can't make it. I got a rugby practice. And that's the only time it's mentioned. It's one. It's like one issue, just a one-off thing of I have to go to a rugby practice. That's so, There you go. There you go. He plays rugby, so that could be an X factor. There you go. Put him at eight, man. Um, you know, we will be continuing our interviews of uh, some more arrows. We've got a couple more guys that we wanted to line up. However – between MLR and the arrows themselves have dropping the news. We decided to take a week off from our interviews and we've got lots of rugby news to talk about. So let's, uh, let's dive right into it, gentlemen. Um, and we're going to start with uh, major league rugby itself because it released not the full schedule, but a, a, a outline of what 2021 is going to look like. Um, the big thing is that it's going to be starting in March and not in end of March as a matter of fact, March 20th. Um, and then the championship game will be August the 1st. So there'll be eight weeks of regular season, 16 matches, two weeks of playoffs guys. What is this all going to look like? Cause it's pretty chaotic when there's only 13 teams. Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, the, the important thing I think right now, like, you know, the schedule was initially supposed to be they were targeting February as a start date. I believe it was like the weekend, like February 12th, 13th, 14th, that kind of stretch there um, was kind of the target for the original start date. Um, I think pushing it back is good for a couple of reasons, like the least of which is it buys you a little bit more time to kind of figure out what you're going to do and what your COVID plan is going to be. When the announcement came out, there was also that article with um, that George Killebrew did a little interview with Martin Pangeli of The Guardian, and he was kind of stating that there is a COVID plan, like like a couple COVID contingency plans, right? So one of those plans is a shortened season. One of those plans is a bubble. And, you know, at the very least, I think if like if you were to kind of give them that extra month, you can kind of figure out what's best for the league. You get to watch, you know, we get to see like the NBA and the NHL have been pretty successful with their bubble scenario. Um, the MLB got off to a pretty rocky start with the Florida Marlins franchise um, or I guess the Miami Marlins. I 
they changed their name a few years back, but I still call them Florida. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, uh, so I think they kind of got off to a little bit of a rocky start with that, but it's been all reined in. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, like there's just, there's obviously going to be some issues, but I think pushing the season back to March, one of those benefits is going to be, it buys you a little bit more time to figure out what exactly you want to do. Yeah, I agree in that, in the sense that I think it's now going to be a case that there will likely be a second spike in COVID over the winter and combined with flu season, that's obviously going to be a very precarious time. Flu season also lasts until, uh, from my recollection, into late February, early March. So um, the end of March will probably mark the start of spring and should, in theory, be the best time to engage in contact sports in outdoor stadia. This also allows more time for the development of a treatment or a vaccine in place, which would then not only just benefit um, all the players and the coaching staff, but may even give the opportunity to have fans in attendance in Sadia if the treatment or vaccine is readily available. Um, Most likely there would still be social distancing put in place, but the opportunity to have um, bums in seats essentially, and more importantly, ticket sales will undoubtedly be of a major benefit to MLR. And it's probably one of the big considerations of why the season was pushed back. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. We, we know that the landscape of COVID in, in the States is, is pretty rough, uh, but even here in Ontario, we've had almost 500 cases in a day yesterday, uh, or I guess I would have should say Friday, so a few days ago here in Ontario. So, you know, it's starting to rise both here in Canada and also in the States. So it is going to be interesting where the where the, the, the virus is in, in, in March. It is actually, it is quite a long time away. Um so how will this have a positive benefit from, from northern teams like Toronto, New York, New England? I mean, uh, the first year of the Arrows' existence, we, we remember the, the split between the two, you know, on the road for the first half of the season, home on the back end. This gives them a little bit more versatility in terms of planning their schedule, does it not? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, firstly, to kind of just touch on what you were talking about there, I think like the NFL is starting to allow fans in, so we're getting a little bit of that experimentation. So the MLR can also get to see how that goes. Um, the Dallas Stars are doing watch parties in their arena for the Stanley Cup final as well. Um, doesn't mean it's a good idea. Uh, because no. Just because Dallas is doing it doesn't mean it's smart. Hey, it, it might not. It might not be. Um, I guess we'll we'll find out how how good of an idea it actually is. But I think from the MLR's perspective, though, you get to see what happens when you do do that. Oh, for though, sure, right? So that's um, that is. The and benefit. MLR MLR in rugby in general has the benefit of being an outdoor sport. Yeah. So but they also they're going to have a lot more lenience towards having things yeah. happen because things are outside. And if you distance, I mean, Toronto. Toronto might not be as lucky because their their stadiums are a little bit smaller, their venues. They're still outside. Team, yeah, but teams like NOLA and their their baseball diamond, they're going to be able to so, – like you look at what NFL stadiums are looking like. If yeah. you can physically distance those guys, your, your fans easily and have fans at your yeah. games. And, and, yeah, like I think that another key thing, like it's, it is – 
six months away still, right? Like this, we've seen how fast the whole, like you, like you just said, man, kids went back to school and COVID started spiking in Ontario. Right. So it's like, it kind of feels like it's dying down. Then it kind of comes back a little bit. So we'll see what actually happens, but all right, moving on to the actual rugby elements of this. Um, I think, yeah, pushing it back to April or sorry, to late March, March 20th is the first game I think. And um, February 15th is also the first day of training camp. So that was the original start date of the season or close to the original start date of the season. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of teams like the Toronto Arrows, um, New England, uh, New York that have been, you know, because they are those cold weather teams. The league seems to not like scheduling games, home games for them. Um, I know like, you know, Lamport Stadium, we have that little that little minor issue with the dome that even the Wolfpack also have to deal with or um, where it's like the dome doesn't come down until April. Um, so that's kind of a minor issue. But now that you're starting in late March, it's like that's, you know, that could be like week three of the season. You could play a game at Lamport Stadium. Um, so like provided everything with the city of Toronto remains the same. Um, but yeah, like if you kind of look at like the shortened 2020 season, Toronto didn't have a home game. New England didn't have a home game yet. New York didn't have a home game yet. New England and New York were about to the week that the season was canceled. Toronto wasn't set to have a home game until week eight of the season. So, um, but like, there's also time like teams on the other end of that, like a team like Austin um, was scheduled to finish with five of their last seven on the road, right? Because they get the home heavy first half of the schedule because they're in Texas. Um, And, you know, it's also like, you know, Texas gets really hot in the summer too. Right. So you don't necessarily want to. Um, So, you know, I sent that tweet out with that thought that it's like, you know what, maybe this opens up the door for a more balanced schedule, you know, give teams like uh, the, say the cold weather teams, they can have home games in week two or three. Um, They could actually, I mean, March 20th, you can have a home game in week one, Um, uh, you know, in New York, Toronto or uh, Massachusetts. Um, So that's fine. But it's like, you know, I think, and, you know, the commissioner, George Killebrew, actually responded to that tweet, kind of echoing that and being like, yeah, that like they're saying that there was many benefits of why they pushed the schedule back. And that was obviously one of them. Um, but I think I think that's the thing, like right now, like I, I, like I feel like I hope this opens the door for them to do the more balanced schedule. And then if they push the season back to February next year, when like things can kind of go back to normal, because um, they were still planning on starting the season in February. So like, if it goes back next year, um, like, I think that I hope that opens up the door to just be like, just let let it play. Like it's part of playing in North America, right? Like the NFL, they get, they deal with, yeah, like there's teams in green Bay, there's teams in Buffalo. Guess what? In December in green Bay and Buffalo, it's going to snow. Um, but you know what, the, but it's balanced out by having teams in Miami or Los Angeles um, and Texas, right. Or teams play in domes if they, you know, to facilitate some of the weather in certain places too. Right. So um, like, I think I would like to see like major league rugby kind of go with that approach or whatever, like just be like, yeah, like, you know what, if, if, if New York has to have a home game, there's a risk that it snows. And it's like, they've been doing this for a couple of years. And it's like, we all remember like when Toronto played Colorado, uh, Glendale um, in the snow. And it was like, you could see there's like three foot snow banks on the sidelines while they were playing. Right. Utah's had snow. So it's like, it's not like it's been completely avoided. So, I mean, hopefully that's part of it. Hopefully we get a little bit more of a balanced schedule. I think the big key thing too, is with the way the schedule works right now. So 
the MLR is keeping it as a 20 week total season, like 20 weeks from opening kickoff to the shield being raised, um, which is the same length of time that it would have been in 2020 or sorry, 2020 as well. Right. So um, I think like that's key. And I think the key thing with that too, is if I just like double check my dates here, um, it's, seems like it's looking unlikely that there will be any international rugby until the ARC in 2021 for both the Canadian team and the American team. Um, So in that being said, like the way the ARC was scheduled this year, um, like the start date was supposed to be mid August. Right. So I wrote this down somewhere and yeah, so if we have if we have all right, I found my notes. Organize your notes before you start recording podcasts, gentlemen. That's just, you should don't 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 take my notes on or word for it. Just have your have your notes organized here. Either way, so um, yeah, so the the 2020 ARC, the first game of that was supposed to be August 15th, right? So that would be like right now the last game of the so if, let's just say if we use that same weekend right so it'd be august 14th the saturday 2021 august 14th would be like the first the first weekend um so you would have between the shield being raised on the first weekend of the arc you have two weeks basically you have 13 days before the, the kickoff if they kept the arc at the same week um, which seems like it might be kind of cutting it close for certain players that maybe get to the final in the MLR, but you would also have guys that who's only four teams are going to make the playoffs, right? Because they got rid of the round, the one playoff round in order to accommodate the fact that with 13 teams, and we'll dive into this a little bit more too, but with 13 teams, you're going to need that extra bye week because every week has to have somebody not playing. Yeah. Um, so they got rid of that one championship or that one round of the championship series. Um, so it's still a 20 week season, which means the team that gets like teams that don't make the playoffs, like their last game will be July 17th, 18th. So those players will have a month before the ARC teams that miss out in the semifinals will be the 24th, 25th. So they'll get their three weeks. And then, so it's like the vast, like two weeks might be a quick turnaround for the guys that are in the finals. But if that ARC stays in that same zone, um, you could still do it. And more importantly, like if the ARC stays in that same zone, it doesn't necessarily conflict with an international window. So all the teams in the playoffs can keep their players. So it kind of seems like the, like you said, George Killebrew said that there's a plan to shorten the season if it's needed. So we'll see if maybe that has to come into play, but for right now you can still slot your 20 week game season in. And it sounds like you'll be able to do it without actually conflicting with that international window. It might be a quick turnaround for the guys that have to play in the championship game though. So, Stu, how will this uneven conference work? I mean, 13 teams, it's going to be quite the jig for for MLR to make it work. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, as Derek mentioned, there are 13 teams, so there's going to be a one-week buy at least per week. Um, There will be some instances of having three teams take a buy, which was the case this year as well. So if we're going on the same format as 2020, which would have been home and away for all the teams within your conference, then the Western Conference with seven teams will have uh, 12 games. So that'd be six home and six away. The issue comes around with the Eastern Conference because that only had six teams. That's five home and away games for a total of 10. What I would say at this point 
is that there would there be two extra fixtures against teams and they will be home and away and that ensures that um, there's no bias for any team having say two home games or one team having two away games so it would just be a constant throughout and I would therefore say that for rivalry's sake New York and New England should have a home and away extra game uh, then I'd just say Toronto and DC and then um NOLA and Atlanta and that will ensure that everything gets to 12 games um, then I would say the remaining fixtures are four cross-conference games and that will be two home and two away again making sure everything's balanced and everything's even and that brings us to the total of 16 games if you want to know what order those are in tough uh, maybe MLR can pay me and then I'll be working <laughs> for their logistics department <laughs> Um, so, Stu, when you were saying that those extra games there, like you would say, like, um, would you say the Free Jacks would play Rooney two, like an extra two times, like one home, one away? Yes. Was that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that as well is that you have to look at um, like the local rivals as well. So, New York and New England did play in Las Vegas in 2020. But you need to have the fans there. I've said it when it was announced and I'll keep saying it. It. You need to have that local rivalry. Now, obviously, we know that New York and Toronto have history, but the history between New York and New England, you, you just can't compare, really. It's not, it's not even a contest in that sense. And talking about ticket sales, I think New York and New England would be the maximum ticket sales you could get. Maybe I'm not saying uh, sellout is definite, but it is more on the cards than I'd say with um, Toronto and New York. Um, Toronto, therefore, I'd say I've just put with DC. This would be also a case of just the least um, distance traveled to get there. And it's the same line of thinking with New Orleans and Atlanta, you know, the as local theoretically as you can be for, for, especially when one team's in a different country than the other. And, and, and uh, you know, DC's got a couple Canadians on their roster, so that would be it's nice. cool for them to come back a little yeah. bit. I think I think I, I, I agree with most of what Stu just said. I wrote an article for Layman Sports, I think, back in, like, May or whenever the Raptors um, withdrew from the league, and I kind of broke down how I would do um, a 13-team schedule, which was before Hawaii. Like, I, I said three bye weeks to each team. Obviously, MLR is going to rock with two bye weeks, so making that a little adjustment. But I, I think – I like. I think ultimately, I agree with Stu. You got to keep it to the twelve in-conference games, and then four cross-conference games, and obviously you balance the home and away. But I don't think in the East, I wouldn't have the teams play each other four times, um, even with like the big rivalry one. Um, I would do like I would kind of borrow a little bit from say some of the other leagues and it's like I wouldn't necessarily officially call them this but I would be like you know with the NA the NHL the MLB the NFL they all have divisions within the conference so I wouldn't necessarily go with I wouldn't I don't want to call them divisions cuz I don't really want to do that cuz I don't want to make something like super formal when it's like hey maybe there's going to be a 14th team next year and it balances the conferences anyways um but what I would do for this season is I would go say you take let's 
we'll say we take Toronto, have Toronto play like you have to play two extra games against your conference. So have Toronto play New England in New England and then play New York at home. And then it's like it's a little bit more evenly balanced and stuff because say like New York is New York's one of the top teams in the conference. Right. So it'd be like or Toronto. Right. So you could be like, yeah, D.C. with their struggling scrum. It's like, yeah, yeah, here's. Here's Toronto with one of the best scrums in the league. You guys get to play them two more times, right? And they're the best team in your conference, so you get to play them two more times. That could like that could be a big like point swing and stuff. Obviously, strength of schedule is a thing that you know the NFL deals with and rights where it's like or you know every league that has divisions realistically because like you know we'll see it across sports it's like some divisions are better than other divisions right some conferences are better than other divisions we saw that in major league rugby this year where it was like the west was getting killed by the east um for a lot of the first five games of the uh of the season and or at least the first five weeks of the season i should say um so i think like that's something that you'd have to consider but i think you would have to like i think if you can if you give them just an extra game against two other teams i think that's a little bit more balanced uh, and you just get to play one at, again agree with Stu. one at home one in a way for that extra game within the division but i would split that up to two different teams like i said maybe do i like Stu's idea of doing with like the rivalry a little bit, keep some of the rivalries intact. So I think like some of the rivalry for the East that could work, you would do, like you said, like Stu said, right? Toronto and New York already have a little rivalry brewing um, from their first seasons, that epic game to, uh, well, Toronto ended up clinching a playoff spot. Rooney lucked out and ended up making it anyways, even though they lost. Um, but that epic Sam Malcolm drop goal game. So it's like, there's a little bit of that history there. There's obviously the history um, with New England and New York, um, just the most natural sports rivalry in the United States. But it's also like, if you kind of look at what's happened in Toronto sports recently, um, Toronto and New England teams do not get along. Like those fans don't like each other either. Um, The Boston Bruins have been an absolute pain in the ass for Toronto Maple Leafs fans for well over a decade, Um, you know, and like, you know, people still talk about the fact that they blew, like, you know, every every time the Leafs go up 4-1, there's lot, it was 4-1 jokes, or um, that, like, those still happen, they couldn't, like, Austin Matthews still has, and John Tavard, like, they still haven't figured out how to beat them, it's been, like, a decade of losing to Boston for the Maple Leafs, and then, you know, like, the Raptors most recently just got eliminated by Boston either, so it's like, Toronto, Toronto fans don't like Boston very much, um, so there's, that's a little rivalry too, even if it hasn't necessarily got to the rugby pitch yet, hopefully it so I would go Toronto, New England, New York. I would make that one like mini division. So they play each other each an extra time. And then I would go to the South where, you know, the uh, NOLA, Atlanta, DC, and then they can, you know, they, they can play each other the extra time home and away each. But I think ultimately, no matter how that schedule works out, I'm curious to see what Major League Rugby actually does end up doing. But just in my opinion, I think that's the way to do that. You keep it as a nice... 12 in-conference games, four cross-conference games. Um, But I also think for the cross-conference games, like if this has to stay like this for a while, um, like say like even next year, if you go to seven, say next year we go to 14 teams as well, right? I would say like... And so that'll obviously kind of stay the same thing. If you keep it at 16 games, you're still going to have to kind of do the 12 and then you only play four teams in the other conference. Um, So I would kind of, I would have Major League Rugby ideally try your best to be like season on season, kind of rotate the teams. So it could be like maybe every like three, like you can go like say 
if you have season tickets for the arrows, if you hold on to them for three years, you'll get to see every team in the league at least once or yeah. something to that effect. Yeah. Definitely a lot of options for them. Uh, I like the idea of Toronto Nola, you know, you can market it as Toronto needs to get over that hump if they want to win because they've never beaten them before. Then you got Nola or is it, then you got, uh, uh, DC versus Atlanta both came in the league at the same time. You know, they've had some back and forth games. So that lots of different options. Um, but we're going to move on. But, sorry, but also build them as that though, build them as like rivalry games. I think, I think either, either yeah. format that both of you guys suggested there, there has to be a significant effort to advertise these. Yeah. Like call, literally games. call it a rivalry game or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, the NHL yeah. does that with their, like NBC has the end, like Wednesday night rivalry night. Um, sometimes NHL fans laugh at what NBC considers a rivalry within that, but they have like the hearts in the right place. It's, it's on that the one. benefit, the benefit of having less games. Yeah. I mean, NBC has to do that every, like every Wednesday night. Yeah. So it never really adds up a lot, but like, yeah. For this, you can do it, yeah. For and this, think, you can definitely do it. Football, I think football has, has kind of shown yeah. us you can it's, advertise you know it that like, way. I think I, I like the idea, man. Like, conferences, divisions are good, right? Because it forces teams to play each other a lot more. And when you get, like, a little bit of a physical sport like that, right, you can get guys, guys start to get on each other's nerves. Um, and, you know, as, just, just like, you at, always – yeah, like you always want like respect and stuff in the game, but sports sports is always a little bit more fun with a little bit of genuine hate mixed and in there. And a little too. testosterone. Um, we're going to move on, guys. Um, and we've mentioned this article before, but Martin Penginelli of The Guardian, who has written a ton about Major League Rugby, he did an interview with Ben Foden when he first joined the league. Well, he's back at it, and uh, he sat down with the, the – uh, the, oh, boy, what's his title, official title? Commissioner? Commissioner. Uh, uh, George Killebrew, the commissioner of MLR. And he sat down and really broke down what the plans are for in March uh, with, with COVID being a huge factor. And one of the things is, Derek's mentioned it already, is MLR supposedly has a COVID plans uh, prepared in case they are disrupted again. Um, uh, Killebrew said that he doesn't want to confirm that there's going to be a bubble if they have to change the way things are. Um just to give you guys a little bit of money, I know it's going to be very different because MLR doesn't have as much money, but uh, on Hockey Night in Canada last night, uh, Elliot Freeman uh, reported that the NHL bubble costs between 75 to $90 million, and the NBA bubble costs $170 million. So, again, two much larger leagues, and you know they have to pay for a lot more, but... Any type of bubble is going to cost a good amount of money. Yeah. The MLR might not be putting like barber shops in their no, bubble. No, yeah, for shops sure. And we'll probably have to, we would have to see how much what MLS ended up doing for their return yeah. to, to play tournament. But you know, what kind of options does a small league like major league rugby have in a COVID world? You know, like what, what can they do if they can't do a bubble, you know, tournament well, like yeah. has happened already? Well, I'd be, I'd be interested to see what the bubble plan actually is. Um, I would imagine it would be nowhere near as expensive as the NHL or the NBA. The other um, thing is that... Like, that doesn't mean you can't do it, though. It's just probably not going to be as expensive. It also would be... I mean, I'll have to check my dates, but it's going to be... It would be quite longer than the NHL or what the NBA have done. 
When uh, like we're going the, from March from when March did the NHL to August. Start? When did the NHL fire up? When they when did they bring everybody to the bubbles? Let me look into that while you talk. Well, because um, one of the thing the quote in the article is um, from George Kilbrew is we do have in our back pockets a reduced season plan. We have a bubble plan that we're going to keep in our back pocket until we need it. And I think those are one and the same. It would be a case of if they have to go to a bubble version of the league, it'll probably uh, most likely be that the cross-conference games are thrown out the window. And depending on the severity of COVID at the time, it could even be a case yes. of you only play the other teams once and that's it. So, so this- it goes from a 20-week season to less than 10. Max, uh, you know, it's it started on August the 1st. It started for the NHL. For the NHL, so they they start they did they they started those like pre playoff games or whatever. Yeah, that one X. Okay, so August first. That's what about that's about two months. Okay, yeah, so it'd be a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, like I don't I don't know. Um, like I don't know. I'd be curious to see what the plan is. It's good to know that they have a plan or that they've been working on a plan of some sort. I think right now, like. One of the big issues that would come with either a contingency plan or anything is you do have to figure out a situation with the border um, because of the Toronto Arrows. Um, And, you know, the like the Blue Jays, like the Canadian government wouldn't let the Blue Jays play home games here. Right. So if you're going to go with a situation where you are traveling, um, I wonder if that's part of the contingency plan. Like if we're like looking into like, where could the arrows play Um, six months from now is a long time though. Like who knows the border may be opened up by then and maybe it's not an issue. Um, We'll, like that's a long time from now, but if the border is still closed, that might be something that you do have to look into. Um, because if the border is still closed and like the blue Jays couldn't like, weren't allowed to operate within Canada and host home games with, you know, uh, uh, MLB teams flying in and out of Toronto. Um, I don't know how much the Canadian government will be all, you know, how excited they're going to be to be like to, for the arrows if they ask for that. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to see too. Um, you know, kind of, you know, Killebrew didn't really let too much slip as to what the plan actually is. Um, it's, I think it's good to know that they do have a plan though. Um, and hopefully it's one of those things where hopefully, I guess you hope that you don't need it, but, um, I would say the biggest, the biggest like red flag or issue to me right now, if you can figure out your schedule is like what happens with the border and, you know, will guys be able to, you know, fly in, fly out. Um, like, do, are the arrows like? Is there going to have to be mandatory quarantines and stuff? Will the arrows be able to host home games in Toronto? Is um, something that will need to be sorted out. And I guess we're just going to kind of be on wait and see with that. Um, as far as what you put in the bubble, I have no idea. That could be a fun thing to ask guys at some point. But um, I feel like it's not going to be as extravagant as. Uh, as what the uh, NHL and the uh, NBA players got. Although, did you see that thing where it's like apparently the uh, Eastern Conference teams, when they went out to Edmonton 
to be like to their new bubble when they got down to the conference finals or whatever. Apparently the Eastern conference teams were like, Toronto was so much better. Yeah. Like the yeah. bubble was, the bubble was so much better in Toronto. Well, they, they got were, to go to like BMO field and yeah, stuff like the, that. Yeah, exactly. So like, like MLSC was letting them like go play soccer on BMO field or play, um, what's that game? Spike ball and stuff. Yeah. Um, Throw so football like, that's around, kind yeah. of funny. It's like Edmonton's like, you're just stuck in a hotel room in Edmonton. Which is depressing enough, but hey. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. And, and I mean, they are kind of seeing what football, both in the NFL and college football, are doing right and wrong. I mean, we've already seen coaches being fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for not wearing masks. And, you know, I believe a coach uh, I was seeing today was not allowed to be on the sideline because he was – displaying some symptoms so you know it's going to be very interesting to see which is good like don't which is what they need to do if you're testing and like yeah wear masks and stuff and then like i think i think if you can figure out a safe way to do it like people are gonna do what they can to try to make you know bring sports back and stuff right now part of the article too and and Stu, i'm going to ask you first about this is um now, uh, Killigrew didn't say this himself, but uh, Penginelli kind of mentioned that a Chicago team is, according to his sources, apparently close to being created. Now, what could a team in the Midwest do for U.S. rugby? And again, um, Chicago has hosted some of the largest rugby matches in U.S. history at Soldiers Field. And the Chicago Lions uh, Rugby Club is apparently a very strong um, uh, club in the U.S. So, you know, they've got the pieces there in terms of, well, they've got fans that might remember the All Blacks coming or Ireland coming to play. And, you know, they've got a strong little uh, rugby uh, club community there, you know. So what 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 does this all mean for the Midwest if, if, if the Chicago team can happen? Well, on a personal note, when I arrived in Toronto in 2018, um, the big rugby weekend or the three-game day in Chicago was happening a few months later. And silly me thought, it's a bit too early for me to go to Chicago. I'll go when it's next on, which would probably be 2020 because I'm an idiot. Um, But... uh, Closer to Chicago, um, as Derek has said in a previous podcast, um, Chicago is a huge TV market for the U.S. Um, there's a lot of investment opportunities for having a team in Chicago. Um, just looking from like the money perspective to have and for MLR as a whole to have a team playing in Chicago, um, and like you said, the history of Uh, rugby being played in Chicago. It's one of the reasons why I think that if uh, the US do get a World Cup, either the opening, I think the the opening or final has to be played at Soldier Field just because of the history it has, but that's for another time. Um, It's it's one of the things that um, George Kilbrew and anyone else on the financial side of MLR have all said is that they just need an investment team and any city can host. And Chicago has been one of the cities that uh, they've been looking at for their big um, expansion plan across North America. So I think this team will probably not make an appearance until 2021 at the earliest. There may 
2022. Sorry. Yeah, 2022. Uh, the years are escaping me. It's just, every, days just blend into one another. Oh man, no, I, I I completely agree with you. I actually had a like really funny thing because I was like, me and my girlfriend, we were watching the Stanley Cup final, um, and then the other day, and I was like, we started dating around the Stanley Cup final. So like partway through the game, I was like, what do you want to do for like our anniversary this year? And she was like what are you talking about this back in like May? And I was like, Oh yeah, right. It's September. I was just, so apparently I don't associate our anniversary with a date. I associate our anniversary <laughs> sporting events with like game three of the Stanley Very Cup nice. final. That's what I, so, yeah. so, so no matter what it's that. So yeah, I completely agree. It's like dates and everything all messed up right now. Yeah. Uh, so, but um, well, I say that it may be if it's announced soon that, um, a Chicago team is forming that 2021, I'd say. Um, the Toronto Arrows had less time than yeah, what Chicago but, had. So, but, but guys, I, I, there's, but not, there's literally not, an announcement not, that it's going to be 13 teams. That's a, no, that's the thing. Not that they're playing in the 2021 season of MLR, but yeah. they'll be playing an exhibition, exhibition season. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, because it, it may even be a case that some of the teams on the bye week in the Eastern Conference may be like, okay, we're going to send our like, younger players or our less experienced sure. players to play an exhibition game against the future Chicago MLR team. And it could even be a case of the Chicago Lions playing the Chicago MLR team because I'm going to go and head and guess that those two are going to be separate entities. And, you know, so they will have the time to build a roster of players, get their coaching staff in order and get prepared that when they do enter the 2022 season of MLR, they will be able to compete at a competitive level. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that uh, the 10, the, the entrance fee is now $10 million and MLR is also looking for you to have an extra $15 million in additional assets in order to join the league. So I guess collateral in case, you know, that the team goes belly up and isn't making money. They want to make sure you have a little bit backup money. So the cost for a team is getting larger and larger and larger. And I mean, it just makes team like organizational groups that haven't still put their bids in like Chicago previously. And then especially like any of those people are looking to make a Vancouver team. And it's like, guys, like, that the clock is ticking. You are only making this even harder for yourself. So it, it is good that, uh, that that their bid is in and, and the decision is going to be made hopefully uh, pretty soon. Yeah, now, I think, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, they got to take that into consideration. I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they did form and they got that exhibition season. I think if I was in other MLR teams, especially like in a, first post COVID season, I would not want any of my players playing extra games during a bye week. So I don't know. I don't feel like that would be the greatest idea, but I feel like they like you could organize something for them if they wanted to play and just build hype. Um, We've seen that we've seen that kind of formula has worked, right? Like the free Jacks played an exhibition season, old glory played an exhibition season. The arrows have played exhibition seasons. New York played an exhibition season. Um, Atlanta did as well, I believe. Um, so it's like, we've seen that as a formula that works. So I think that could be a good idea. I just don't think you would want, I don't, 
think if I was coaching an MLR team, I wouldn't want my guys going away on a bye week to play an extra team um, during a post COVID year. Plus obviously in any regular year, the chance, the chance that you get hurt in an exhibition game mid season too, I think is too big of a risk that I would not want to be taking. Um, but yeah, I think, Ultimately, too, like Chicago is a Chicago is an unreal city. It's a world class city, and it's the third biggest TV market in the country, right? So I think no matter no matter where you go with that, it's like I think ultimately, I think for the league to be successful, as weird as it is, you need a team in Chicago, right? Like yeah. it's like there's certain sure. there's certain cities in North America. I think yeah. that like you kind of look at the other big five sports, or even like. No, even th- places, even leagues like, you know, lacrosse and stuff too, right? Like, you know, you need t- t- a team has to be in New York. You need a team in Boston. You need a team in Chicago. And you probably need a team in LA. I know the NFL went a very long time, whatever that was, like 20 something years without having a team in LA. Um, but probably longer than that. My football history isn't the greatest, but. And now they've um, got two. And now so. they got two back. Yeah, exactly. They went back and now there's two. So it's like. Yeah, exactly. And like every, every other league. And it's like you have like you have the big Canadian market covered already too. like every league that has expanded into Canada. It's tr- a Toronto team, the Blue Jays or the Raptors. Um, obviously, the NBA went to Vancouver for a little bit, but the Grizzlies eventually moved to Memphis um, and the Montreal Expos also were successful during their time. And then they ended up moving to Washington. So it's like Toronto has been the one that's been able to sustain it anyways. Um, so it's like, you kind of got that big Canadian market covered. Um, and then, yeah, I think, so, you know, if you're looking to target those cities as well, like Chicago just makes the most sense to me. And I think to the benefit of Chicago too, is it's not weird to put Chicago in the Eastern conference. Um, that's where the bulls reside in the NBA. So it's a nice, easy thing to shift through. You can keep the three Texan teams all together. Um, and you know, it's a little bit of, it might be a little bit of a further trip for most of the East teams, but Chicago, I think Chicago works. So, um, if that's going to be the team, I am, I am all for a Chicago team entering MLR. I think also Chicago and Toronto, you have then the Great Lakes rivalry, which would just be a marketing point. So go with that. So to finish up kind of the interview stuff, um, Killebrew gave a vote of confidence to Adam Gilchrist, um, which kind of shocked some of us because we have questioned many things Mr. Uh, Gilchrist has done with his ownership rights. Um, but he, he Kilbrew says he's one of our strongest owners. Not only is he financially capable to own two teams, he's also steadfast in that he loves this and he's enthusiastic about MLR as anybody. Now, we also kind of got some interesting news about Mr. Gilcrest and his teams as uh, the Gilgronis announced that Robbie Coetzee, um, hooker from South Africa, uh, will be joining the team. And an interesting thing is that uh, apparently he was given the choice to choose between L.A. and Austin. So uh, Gilchrist is having an interesting, um, how do I want to put this, interesting uh, marketing recruiting platform and saying, hey, I've got two options. I've got Texas. I've got uh, California. Which place that's sunny would you like to live? And then perhaps depending on the team and the living situations, the players can kind of pick and choose. So uh, a very interesting little bit that came out of the interview. Um, 
but we're going to move on again, guys. And this is, this is quite big. And this is this little bit of news. Everyone's kind of been waiting for Stu's reaction to it. Um, Rob Howley has been hired by Rugby Canada to be uh, the national men's team's assistant coach. And he will also be a coaching consultant for the Toronto Arrows. Now, Stu, I'm going to ask you this question first as our... Uh, Basically as our because European every single co- person on Facebook was like, what does Stu think about this? What does Stu think? What does Stu and think? And I feel like, sh- man, like me, Dan, like, how do we, how do we feel about this, man? Should we feel like, and like, is it just, is it just because he's Welsh that like he's going to have... He's got the opinion on the Welsh coach. Yes. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. Yes, it's exactly what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's hundred percent. Okay, so I shouldn't feel bad about this. I shouldn't be like people don't people don't like me or anything, right? No, no, no. no. You took you guys took a little too long to answer that question, but I'll let I it had slide. to drink some water, Derek. I was thirsty. Yeah, exactly. You had to drink some water out of that gigantic barrel yeah. that you had. You like that? I got it from Costco, dude. It's bigger than your head, man. I know. All right, so How thirsty are you during this podcast? It, it, it's, it's a work thing. So like I work in an elementary school and the only water fountain in my school, because it's an old school, is in the bottom floor and I'm on the upper level. And normally it wouldn't be a big deal because I would either fill my water bottle up the sink, but because of COVID, they've wrapped up all of those water fountains and they only have the one water fountain downstairs because it's a like... You don't have to touch a button for it. It's it's a new one where you can just put it over. It's motion sensor and turned on. So for the first you know two weeks of school, I was running with two water bottles, so I never had to fill any up, and it was getting annoying to carry around two water bottles. So I said, "Screw that noise!" And I got this guy, a gigantic barrel, gigantic barrel, and it's great. It's got so a little. Like how how many how many hook. liters is that? Like uh, it is sixty four ounces. Or 1.9 liters. I was going to say, can you, can you yeah. give me that measurement in Canadian, please? What's this <laughs> it's, it's almost a, it's almost a two-liter bottle of pop, basically. Yeah. Jeez, dude, like kids get upset when you're like at the water fountain and it takes you 20 minutes to refill. No, because I fill this up at home and I don't have to fill it up when I get until I get home. It's great. Anyway, Stu, <laughs> yeah. how how oh, yeah. do you feel? Arrow's how coach. what are what is and what are Rugby Canada and the Toronto Arrows getting from Howley? He's got a resume that speaks for itself. Absolutely. Um, this is a coach who has um, been part of uh, four Six Nations victories, three of them Grand Slams. The other one was um, during his 2013 reign as um, caretaker coach while Scotland was on lines duty. And during that time, uh, Wales scored their highest victory over England in a 30-3 to victory that denied England the Grand Slam. Um, he's also been on two Lions tours as a player and part of the 2009 Lions coaching staff. He's helped coach Wales to a Rugby World Cup semi-final and quarter-final, which... Um, at the time, it was the best record for any of the home nations. Um, he also has 14 years playing experience. That, that includes two premiership titles and the Heineken Cup victory that we've all seen that his last minute never say die try won that victory for Wasps. Um, this is a coach that also has the benefit of working with Warren Gatland, who's 
strategy was not only just working for his union, but working with the clubs of those unions as well. And that's advising certain players um, to be trialled in certain different positions. And that's how we got uh, Jamie Roberts going from fullback into a crash ball centre and being one of the world's best in the uh, 2000s and early uh, 2010s. And this would be a phenomenal benefit to both Rugby Canada and Toronto Arrows. Uh, And that's just with having that um, consultancy role. So even if uh, Rob Howley says like, oh, maybe we can have this this player in this position instead, because he knows that that would then benefit the national team and would hopefully get Canada a few wins come the America's Rugby Championship in 2021. He can suggest to put Giuseppe Dutrois on the wing. Exactly. That's if, how, if, that's how if we Rob, get if the Rob Howley plan. suggests that, we should be like, you can stay in Wales, man. <laughs> you just, all you need to do is improve his. Uh, or maybe it's a Welsh thing. Maybe it's like then, just Welsh people are just like, that dude should be a winger. And hey, us in North America just don't see how it works. Well, in 2015, the third choice scrum half was put on the wing and. All that followed was a phenomenal try that eventually led to Wales beating England in England's World Cup. So, you know, don't rule anything out. Um, Ultimately, the amount of experience definitely comes to Canada's and Toronto's benefit. That said, there's a reason why he's coming to Canada and not Italy, as was predicted at the end of or in the middle of 2019. Um, his The uh, scandal from um, betting on rugby games has obviously been at the forefront of any discussion of Rob Howley since. And I think what a lot of people are looking for are reassurances that Howley is in the right mind space. I know that there have been articles saying that he's been seeing a psychologist to ensure that he won't fall into the trap of gambling again. Um, And obviously that helps immensely and it's obviously the right thing to do. But then there's also the concern of being out of the sphere of rugby to then rejoining it and then and people are obviously going to be concerned now I will stay right now that I have no training in mental health I'm not the person to really be speaking on this but um, like Howley said and what a lot of the coaching staff both in Canada and Wales have said is that you know, everyone is capable of making mistakes. He wasn't in the right mind space when this happened. He was going through a family tragedy, which sparked this addiction. And I'm to be a realist or a pessimist, whatever way you look around this, I know that relapses are possible. And the thing that Rob Howley and Rugby Canada and the Toronto Arrows need to have in place is that the chances of relapse are as low as possible, but should, and God forbid, I hope it doesn't, a relapse does happen, there needs to be a sense of care put in place to ensure that it's addressed as soon as possible. And I think that would be the best, not only for um, Rugby Canada and the Toronto Arrows, but Rob Howley himself. 
Yeah. So yeah, I guess over how they, I guess, man, like the betting, the betting scandal would kind of through world rugby's investigation kind of determined that he placed 363 bets covering uh, 1,163 different matches. Um, and, you know, ultimately that like what, based on what he did. So world rugby also determined that over that time. So that was a, from November, 2015 to September, 2019, um, he lost about 4,000 pounds roughly um, while he was gambling on these games. Um, but ultimately world rugby. So basically he broke um, regulation 6.3.1, um, which is prohibited betting um, from like the world rugby, like, you know, corruption um, handbook and everything. Um where it was basically no connected person to the game can place bets on games. Um, and then that comes with, it's very, it's a very interestingly worded, worded um, kind of rule. If you go and pull it up on the world rugby website, you can find these regulations in their rule book. Um, and it was essentially um, the minimum penalty for it. If it's one bet on a non-connected event. So IE like an event that, like say you're not a player for the team, you're not a coach for the two teams. Um, the minimum can be a warning, like literally just a warning. If they're like, you put out one bet, um, the minimum bet is for like the connected in six months. Um, the minimum bet for a like one bet on a connected event gets you a six month ban. And then it kind of goes up and you can get f up to five years of a suspension for uh, betting on these sports. Um, they're, there is additional, like, depending on what you're, what you are actually um, convicted of doing or whatever, like um, match fixing carries just a straight up lifetime ban if you're found to do that, which is probably fair. Um, but this doesn't like it definitely doesn't sound like he was involved in any match fixing and stuff just trying to, um, you know, trying to win some money, you know, yeah. personal gain and all that. And obviously like, you know, he was losing. So um, like that, that is what it is there too. Um, my whole thing with that is I, I agree with like Stu, it's, um, you know, that I think what you're kind of looking at here and Kingsley Jones was quoted by Neil Davidson of the uh, Canadian press. Um, and he was basically talking about um how him knowing rob howley was a major factor in him actually deciding to go through and hire him um and he said that um quote from Dill davidson's article he said that if it was a situation where i didn't know the coach i don't think we would be going down this road but i've known rob for 30 years almost we played played sevens with him played for wales with him we've been on some long tours south africa australia etc five six week rugby tours where one of us had been the captain or the vice captain we've have a very tight relationship so i know rob very well um so what i'm kind of like reading into this is it's like you have it sounds like you have a guy that made a mistake Stake. Um, and you know, you're trying to help him land back on his feet, um, you know, after that. And I think basically what the way I see this is that Rob Howley gets a second chance, he gets to re-enter the rugby world as a coach. Um, he it's a three-year contract that takes it through the rugby world cup, which I also think um, was kind of interesting how rugby Canada worded that. Cause it's like, we got to, you know, hopefully Rob Howley can help actually let's get to the world cup. Um, Cause that's not a guaranteed thing either. Um, so it's through the world cup. And I think, 
Rugby Canada gets to give that guy a second chance. And in return, you get one of the best tactical coaches in the world that in all likelihood would not end up in Canada without this betting scandal. And I think too, like in the sense that, you know, world rugby handed down the suspension that they thought was just for what he did. And as I said, it's like the, the regulation that he broke that prohibited betting, it can carry anywhere from a six months to a five year suspension. And they gave him that 18 month ban, but only nine months of it was suspended. So out of, you know, a possible five years, he got nine months, um, which I guess shows how World Rugby views like the severity of the incident. And I think as with any player, man, like you see, like, you know, players get suspended for things all the time. They get suspended for, you know, um, you know, dirty plays in games or they get suspended for things they do off the field. And once that suspension's up, it's like, you know, you kind of, you want that player back on the field, right? Like, you know, England, England and England or the Saracens are not going to feel bad when Owen Farrell's suspension for that hit um, is, is over, right? They're going to, they're going to, they're going to play him. He's one of the best players in the world. He's a key cog in their team. They're going to play him. And I think right now it's kind of, World Rugby is going to allow Howley to coach. So I think if he's willing to come to Canada and take that opportunity, give that guy a second chance, and it's probably a lot cheaper than what he would normally make too. Um, I say, I say, why not? And it's like, let Rugby Canada benefit from having one of the best tactical, let the arrows benefit from it. And more importantly too, let the arrows coaches benefit from it too. Like he's been the attack coach for the lions. He's been the attack coach for Wales. Um, right. Like let them soak up that knowledge and like, not just for the players, but let them like the arrow staff become better coaches. Let like Mark Whitaker, Chris Silverthorne, Corey Hector, Pete Smith, Dave butcher, like let those guys, you know, hear what he has to say. And it's like, it's like, I think major league rugby has to be about developing players, but also about developing coaches. And, you know, ultimately, like, ultimately I think it's a good, like it's, it's a beneficial situation. I think I agree with Stu. You got to kind of keep a, keep a tight leash on like on any gambling on the gambling side of that. Right. You don't like, you don't like you, but I think that's the whole thing, right. Is Kingsley Jones is hot bringing in his friend too, right? Like you're trying to help out your friend, get back on your feet um, after, you know, after going through something and that's, that's, I, I don't see an issue with that. Um, you do have to monitor the situation as well, though. But um, and I think, like, you know, in exchange for being willing to give your friend a second chance, you get one of the best tactical minds in the world. Um, I, I think it's a it's a good it's a good thing to be doing for Rugby Canada. And, you know, I, I hope the, the arrows and Canada can benefit from it. So the notes about that press release is that the director of rugby operations for Rugby Canada thanked Bill Webb and the Arrows for their partnership uh, in conjunction with the philanthropic donations from dedicated rugby supporters in aiding Rugby Canada's ambition to bring Rob to Canada. So we knew that finances were tough and tight uh, in, with Rugby Canada, especially during COVID. Uh, so it's interesting that they put that in their release to kind of shed a little bit of light of how this is going to be managed. Um, as stated at the beginning of it, it is going to be a three-year signing program, uh, signing deal. So 
that will run through the end of the 2023 World Cup. I believe Derek mentioned that. So a very interesting relationship. Um, my last question, guys, is we have now seen two MLR teams um, hire consultants um, between Eddie Jones signing and now um, Howley. So do we think that this might be something that uh, in accordance with trying to develop, you know, North American coaches, do we think that more teams will look towards doing this, you know, bringing in coaches that just do a consulting, you know, via web and then come for two or three weeks during the season to help out. Is that something that they might do instead of just going and trying to hire a big coach and and blow a bunch of money? Well, when there was the announcement of Michael Czechia being a consultant for Argentina for the uh, revamp rugby championship um, that will be held hopefully later this year, I saw that image. I saw the word consultant and I was like, okay, which MLR team has gotten uh, Czechia on their books? So uh, at this point, I'm just waiting for Steve Hansen to say that he's helping out Utah and the Warriors because it's not it's not going to surprise me it's a very smart move to take and I think for a young league with the potential to maximize its profits later down the line to then say like oh we've had this international head coach and this international head coach consulting our teams and one of which is the uh, runner-up at the most recent rugby world cup so you know, these are big names that are coming into the mix and, you know, there'll be investors that are looking at this and hopefully they'll be saying like, well, if these guys know what they're talking about and they clearly are because they've got these great big name coaches, then hopefully that it'll make sure that their teams will win. And then if I was to create a team and put them into MLR and I was to get a consultant, then I my profits would extrapolate and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting too, I think seeing the teams that have done this or whatever, like San Diego with Eddie Jones. San Diego was one of the best teams in MLR last year. They were the only 5-0 and team when the season was called off. Um, Toronto was the best team in the Eastern Conference. And they're the two guys that went out and added Eddie Jones to be a consultant in San Diego and Rob Howley to be a consultant in Toronto. Um, and I think... It might be something that you might see, like maybe teams will look into it because it's like if Toronto and San Diego start like pulling away from the pack here, like the teams might feel the need to do it just to kind of keep pace. Right. Like if you have if you have those great rugby minds that are helping, um, that would be like helping a team that could be a big advantage. Um, I think for, for me, though, with the Rob Howley signing and I get obviously the arrows are a factor here, but I'm more excited to see what he does with Rugby Canada, um, like just the, with the men's national team, um, as opposed to the arrows, the arrows attack. I like the arrows attack. It's fun to watch. It's very dynamic wingers moving across the field all the time. It's great. Um, but. You know, Canada, I know we've kind of like, I mean, when we were doing our World Cup episodes, we we're kind of like criticizing and being like, it's a little too predictable. Um, you know, there's the the Squidge rugby video when he was doing his like pre-World Cup videos and like half of it was just like Canada's attack is basically a line. Um, and so I'm kind of. I'm excited to see what Howley brings to that and like kind of revamp that attack a little bit, um, he, you know, 
Wales is kind of an interesting team and maybe Stu can kind of chime in on this where it was like, it seemed like a lot of their, like sometimes they get criticized for being like maybe a little bit on like the more boring side. Um, but you know, boring, boring teams can also win too. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is it might not have been the most flashy, um, but it was like Rob Howley's attack with Wales was damn efficient. Um, yeah. Even if, if I think that's the big thing is if you're yeah. going to do boring, you have to do be it well. crystal perfect yeah. on everything. And, and that's the thing is like, I think Wales, Wales were that right. They, you know, um, he kind of favored, how we kind of favored the one, three, three, one sort of attack system. Um, forwards were relied on a lot to be making passes. Um which, you know, it's like there would be, and, you know, obviously as Stu alluded to, they use a lot of crash ball centers too, man. It's like, take the ball, run, bash through guys, make the gain line, get up, do it again. Um, but I think the thing with Wales too, though, is like we said, it's like they're coming off that 2019 Grand Slam um, in the World Cup year last year. So Howley was uh, a part of that and it was his attack and stuff. And through that entire Six Nation run there, um, the Welsh Wales actually had like the lowest amount of entries into the 22 over the whole tournament. They only had 25, but they had like the highest efficiency of it. Ooh, and it was basically yeah. if they entered the 22, they scored 64% of the time. <laughs> when you walked into the 22, they said, which was 10 tries and six penalties. They actually got a seventh penalty attempt, but um, I can't remember who actually kicked it, but there was one that was missed. Um, so it's like it, it's efficient and it's like, and you can watch some of like the Welsh tries. They all kind of look a little bit different. They might come based on what they've done in defense, right? Like come create a turnover, but when they get that turnover, it's like the, you know, the switch is clicked and it's like, they can, they can run on you. Um, but then it's like, they could also get, when they get into the 22, they're like near impossible to stop. Right. Like they 64%, they score two out of three times when they enter the 22, which is like, that's a tough rate to deal with. One, um, they got during that six nations, dude, they had 3.48 points per entry, which was only bettered by England. Um, and, but England had way, didn't have as good as defense, right? So it's like they were like Wales was able to pull away from that in that standpoint. But it's like if, the way the Welsh team kind of was is they had good defense um, and they would hold on to the ball a lot. They would kind of make teams sort of, they would make teams take the ball back from them. But like when they got into the 22, they like, you couldn't stop them. It was like, we've seen like us, like, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to say it's super similar, but it was like, you know, the champions cup this weekend watching Exeter. It was like, if Exeter hits the five meter line, you're like throw seven on the board. Like, because yeah. I'll assume the conversion will be good too, because they'll probably score in a very good place. But it's like they hit the five meter line, throw it, like, throw it on the board. It's tough to stop. And I feel like, like, under Rob Howley, Wales kind of had that. And I'm like, you know, I think ultimately, I think it's like, it's an unfortunate maybe it's a bit of an unfortunate circumstance for why he's in Canada. Um, his skill set, like you said, he was the Lions attack coach, like the Lions, the most prestigious team in the world, not named All Blacks, um, is basically most prestigious team in the Northern Hemisphere anyways, right? And, yeah. you know, he was their attack coach. He was, you know, he won a Lions tour against Australia with that attack. He drew the All Blacks with his attack. Um, you know, the Wales, as we said, Wales had all their success all their grand slams, all their, you know, deep runs at a world cup with that attack. And it was like, he was going to be Italy's head coach was another tier one, six nations country. Um, and he's in Canada now. 
And we got one, yeah, we got one of the best coaches in the world, man. And I hope, I hope we can make use. Like, I hope over the next three years, like we get to like full, fully utilize that mind, um, that, that great rugby tactical mind that he has. And I hope he brushes off, like, Let's brush off that rugby knowledge to uh, all the coaches down the pipeline and in the players. And, uh, you know, Canada's attack has been a little stale lately. So hopefully he can, he can inject some life into it. And, um, you know, we've, we've been falling down the world rankings since 2011. Um, you know, that game against Tonga, there was, they won it in the world cup, jumped up to 11th in the world rankings and just been steadily falling down them since then so um you know it's it's an interesting opportunity because of the circumstances that brings Halley here um but you know maybe having a, f- a good friend in kingsley jones it can help him land back on his feet and you know hey we got one of the best attacking coaches in the world so um it'd be uh, like i hope it works out for all parties involved and <laughs> yeah i will um mention that one of the big things about Rob Howley's attack and also uh, Sean Edwards' defence for Wales is their reliance on fitness. And one of the big things between um, the 2015 and the 2019 World Cup training camps was they would put players through grueling fitness tests because they want their players to still be ready to go on the 80th minute instead of being gassed at the 65th and 70th minutes because you may have like the um the best forwards in the world you may have the best backs in the world but if your players are gasping for breath at like the 65th and 70th minute they're going to start making mistakes and that's what you notice with wales and that they were able to go the distance against teams it now to be fair it did take them time for example against australia they got one victory in 2008 and then have to wait 10 years for the next one, which I'm never going to get back. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying come the 2021 ARC Canada is just going to be like the fighting Maple Leafs, just like ripped and ready to go. It may take time. And, but one of the big things was like their reliance on fitness. they, tested the players in training and had leaderboards even uh, Jonathan Davies who's now one of the best centers in the world when he started coming into these Welsh training squads he admitted that his approach was lazy and it was only when he was topping those leaderboards that he was getting selected and you know I think that level of healthy internal competition combined with improved fitness yeah I think it's going to be great for Canada if that comes through. Yeah, I think I think there's been a lot of things too with like a lot of like especially I think Canada that could be a benefit to them as well. And I mean even, you know, to kind of borrow a little bit from hockey here, like that was one of Herb Brooks's big things when he was coaching Team USA, um especially in the build up to the 1980 Olympics it was like we're we're definitely not the best team in the world, but like we're going to be the fittest team in the world and that's going to that's going to be a big help late in the third period and you know what it turned out to be a big help late in the third period against a lot of teams um because at that tournament the USA had a lot of comeback 
back victories, um, which so, yeah, like it, it, you can see it in other sports and stuff, man. And that's how I think across the board, it's like that's how sometimes like teams that aren't as skilled, like those tier two nations, that's how you can like if you do get into a World Cup situation, that's how you can hang in a game if you're just able to work, able to work harder than the other team. Right. I think my going off of what kind of Stu said with fitness and consistency is I think that'll be his biggest problem because, you know, in Wales, it's, it's quite easy to have a camp get together and have all the guys, you know, you know, you still got some guys who are playing overseas and stuff like that. I mean, Canada, you got guys playing all over the place and you do have a centralized program out in BC, but you know, we've seen how hard it is. So Hopefully that that'll be something that rugby can will work with him and, and how to help keep his players honest when they're not always going to be as close together. I mean, again, how, how far of a drive is it to get all the guys in Wales together for, you know, a centralized camp, you know, yeah. again, assuming that they're all in the same country uh, compared to, okay, well, we want to have a training camp with rugby Canada. All right, everybody book your flights to BC. Hey man, if, if COVID like for a, at least as far as fitness, if COVID has taught us anything, man, you can you can do coaching and stuff over Zoom. Or it's something. true, but I mean, right? it's like you can. It's, get it's guys. different than it's different than having a guy working out in in his yeah. home than having him working yeah, out yeah. at the training facility, yeah, yeah, and exactly. and you can you can watch what's happening. Yeah, so it, rugby it's gonna shapes be, a little bit different than just lifted lifting weights and stuff. You do need to actually play, but it'll be it'll yeah. be very interesting. That's for sure. It'll, yeah, every every coach has to adapt. To, there's going to be a lot of new ways to uh, coach the game and stuff over the next year or so because everybody has to adapt to the new the new rules and everything for sure so we're going to finish off with one last thing guys um and it's actually it's it's pretty damn cool and we've all been kind of impressed with it um the free jacks announced their their new uh, new england wide academy structure with 13 teams and hot damn did they knock it out of the park with some of these names so i'm going to go down the list quickly and then i want you guys to name which name you like the most. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the alarm, the sea serpents, the champs, the pine rioters, the mutineers, the granite hammers, the night watch, the cobblers, the Lightfoots, the silver sharks, the whistler punks, the pathfinders or the river rangers. So, Derek, you tell me who you like the most. Well, first of all, I mean, like, I know I know we got some interesting team names in Major League Rugby. The Chicago team or whoever that 14th team ends up being, you get this guy to name your teams. Whoever <laughs> came up with this, um, no, no more owner's last name and then, you know, random last syllable. <laughs> Like as much, yeah. Like it's like we we have a guy that's coming up with these just sitting there. Um, my personal favorite from this, um, I man, there's so many good ones. I love Mutineers. That's just that's a great name. I'm surprised like you don't really hear that as a name too much. Um, Granite Hammers is cool. Um, River Rangers is cool. The Alarm I kind of like just because they just slapped the the on it and stuff, and I'm not, not even really sure what that means. Um, Champs is fun. I know the city that they're in is like Champlain, so it's like I guess it's kind of like a city nickname, but it's you know isolated. Calling yourself the Champs just sounds kind of cocky and arrogant, and I like it. Um, but I think my favorite one I'm going to go with the Night Watch 
for the obvious Game of Thrones reference that it seems to um, bring about when you mention it. Also, their little intro video that they had, the kit looked awesome with like the stars and stuff on a solid black kit. Um, so if I can get some Nightwatch gear, I will try to do that because that is a really cool name. Um, uh, good, good on New England for creating this, though. It's an awesome, awesome program. I hope the uh, the academy works out well for them, and hopefully the Free Jacks themselves can benefit from it a lot. I've got to admit, um, Nightwatch was one of the names that uh, took my mainly See, cause game. It's because of the Game of Thrones. See, the, it, the, the only issue that I was thinking with the Nightwatch, man, is it's like... it. I was just like, man, like, I feel like you're setting yourself up to get chirped during the game a little bit with that. Like, you know, it's like a guy makes a bad play. You can be like, yeah, you know, nothing or something like that. Or, but I was also just like, man, can you imagine someone just absolutely destroys a guy and he can like stand up over him. And it's like, that guy would be like, you know, like rattling in pain. And he'll just be like, your watch has ended and leave. Ooh, yeah. I, I was going to say. Yeah, like you can talk any, guys with it. I don't know. Yeah. But. I was going to say is that when um, any player from the Night Watch, if they get called up to play for the Free Jacks or any MLR team, they have to yeah. return their jersey and just say, my watch has ended. My watch. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, or the other thing would be like, is, that, is the Night Watch going to be the team that none of the, like the teammate of the players that none of the other teams want? So they just send them to the Night Watch? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that going to be part of it too? I don't know. But either Derek, way, Derek cool is, is, is re- reading too much. Into I, I'm reading way I, too much into this. Yeah. I, as, in, as much as I like the Night Watch, it's not my favorite. That is split between two other names, which are the Pine Rioters and the Whistler Punks. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're punks, but we're the Whistler Punks. So get it right. And like every time they score a try, you hear, doot, doot. I, love I it. Could absolutely love this hypothetical rugby match between the Whistler Punks and the Nightwatch, <laughs> where the punks, are, where they're just being punks to the Nightwatch, essentially just taunting them all the time. Dude, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's... uh. Yeah, all these names, all these names are awesome, man. It's 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 amazing. Dan, who do you um, got? We've Derek and I before Stu Steve uh, Stu came on because we didn't want. I don't want to embarrass man, him. You got to stop calling him Steve on this. I know. Thing. I don't know why. Like, it you is. call me the right name, then the wrong name, and uh, then back to the right name. I know. Yeah, it's, he's only been on for like what? What are we on with you, Stu? A couple like, months, fourteen now. episodes, something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to show how much of a nerd I am, and we haven't talked about how much I love Dungeons and Dragons with Stu around. But like a lot of these, give me those vibes. Like these seems like these are like pubs that I could go to, like in like a little fantasy <laughs> town. Um, you open a treasure chest, and there's a granite hammer inside. There's it. a granite hammer. I mean, even like Pathfinder is a like tabletop RPG game. Yeah. Like that, it, that's that's just that is one of them. Um, but I, oh, I there's the Rangers too. The p- River Rangers, you know, Rangers are a class. Um, but I really like the Lightfoots, and I love that they have a little horn. Like I, again, I love all this musical stuff. I think that um, I love the idea of it just being like a team full of nines. <laughs> like their scrum would be absolutely garbage, but good luck trying to catch them if they get the ball, and they're all gonna be jerks. So, like, to see them play, like, the Whistle Punks would be hilarious. <laughs> so, I, I, I love like it. The, uh, did you see that they, ha- they have, like, plaid jerseys? 
or whatever. Like there's the one video they actually kind of released that they would show what the jerseys look like. And like, I have not seen this video. I need to look at this video. Me too. Yeah. Pull pull it up. It was on like the free Jacks, uh, the free Jacks announcement. They had like a video of the, uh, of all the, uh, the, like what the kits would look like. I think they'll, God, yeah, there, there it is, man. The Lightfoots are like plaid. Oh, it's oh, awesome. You know what? Just seeing the River Ranger one, though, I think I might change my mind. I might go with the River Rangers. Well, refresh my memory. Champs. What's the River Rangers color? It's it's just a nice green, and it's got like details all over it. They're all they're all great. So sh- kudos to the Free Jacks for doing yeah. such a good job with it. Half um, of these are better than the MLR names. <laughs> half of these, yeah. Honestly, oh, like all the MLR, better, better than two of them at least. At least, no, like more. That's probably better than more. Whoever, yeah, whoever's doing this, you get the name. Whoever did this gets to name the fourteenth team. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've, they you've they the get rights the rights to, to name Chicago. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. and Austin and LA. Like yeah, just game time. Well, no, no, no. Those that. are those are any names. You just you get to the next the next ten. I think Austin has shown you that they are not afraid to change their name just because they had a name already. Oh, they, they changed. They, 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 they changed did, they did it twice in one off season. Yeah, but, yeah, but not like not like. Hey, man, three think, names and like a, like. A, you know what though? I think with the, that vote of confidence that Gilchrist got and stuff, I don't think his his ideas. I don't think his ideas are going anywhere. There was that other interview that Killebrew did with uh, Alex Megleby, the uh, owner of the Free Jacks, and they were saying that you know he was looking at making F forty five like a big like league wide sponsor too, right? So. You need to give me a um, And the other break. interesting thing with that announcement too is the Giltini's logo was on the announcement, even though they're still not on the website. And the stuff, websites, they're well, they they still been like completely radio silent as far as social media, which is a terrible strategy, really, at this point. Like even if even if you are changing your name, call like call yourself the LA rugby club and start marketing your team and do a team announcement closer to the season team name announcement closer to the season to even to even but, go into or just use guiltinis use guiltinis at this point to even just go into how little information there is about the guiltinis there is one article on major league rugby's website about the guiltinis and it's about being welcome into the league. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But we, you know, we talked about this before. And you know what, guys? We're going to end it there. And it's night here uh, before I, my brain explodes out of frustration. Um, we will get back at interviewing some, uh, some more rugby guys uh, soon. Um, so look forward to, uh, to hearing more from some more Canadian rugby players. Um, 
please go back and listen to some of our previous episodes where we interview um, Andrew Ferguson and Cole Keith. Those interviews were fantastic. Both of them kind of gave their um, experiences about what's happening with COVID and, and their previous rugby experiences. Uh, Cole talks about his time with um, the, the World Cup and, and Andrew kind of talks about, you know, what's it like to living with a, another pro athlete who uh, is uh, going to be playing hockey in China you know, so a lot of a lot of different things uh, are, happen in those episodes. So please tune in to uh, enjoy those, and you can go to La Rouge Rugby. Where Steve or Stu? Oh, I did it again. Jeez, man, I don't. Do I have to edit? Ask Steve. Yeah. Ask Steve. Edit do I, do I have to? Should I, should I edit all of these to be like? No, oh, it's I just that you one. Want, I don't even want to edit all the Stu like the Steve calls out because I feel like it already takes me long <sighs> enough to edit this, and I don't want to put in any more, any more all right. time. So, jeez, you know, hey Stu, next week can you like put like Where a giant sure? poster board thing behind you, like <laughs> on that nice yeah. wall, just spray paint Stu. Just I am Stu. It says Stu on the screen right now, too. I'm, I'm looking at my notes. I need to put Stu, 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 like everywhere, just so I'm Yeah, you've, we've only been doing this for like two months. It's fine. It's fine. You, it's fine that you don't know his name. It's it's fine. Stu, where can we? Fi- where can the fine folks find us on social media? Not you by can. searching Steve. That's for damn sure. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Spotify. Search for The Rouge Rugby Podcast. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for getting together with us and we will be back next week. Thank you.